Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Coming to you direct from our super secret studio. Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio. I'm your host, Emily Brandwin at CIA Spy Girl on Twitter. We're broadcasting from the very, very sunny West Left Coast, and today I am so excited, so thrilled to be joined by New York Times bestselling author, the escape artist, the inner circle, you may have heard of them, his new book, The First Conspiracy, also the host of the History Channel TV show, Decoded, with Brad Meltzer, but I'm not going to tell you who my guest is yet. Um, He's a producer and a writer. Oh, and it's Brad Meltzer. How are you, Brad? Um, I am good. I, I love introductions like that. Cause I'm like, Ooh, who is it? It's like a mystery. It could you, did you know I was talking about you? I, I mean, I was, I had my fingers crossed. I was like, please be me. Please be me. Please be me. Oh, what a disappointment if it wasn't. Because I will tell you, sometimes I sit in my house, I read my books, I watch myself on my own television show and I sit in front of the mirror and I just go, Oh, Meltzer, you've done it again. <laughs> there you go. I mean, right. I mean, what kind of jerk? Like, <laughs> Is it weird to see your, see yourself on TV when you're so used to in the past, you know, writing a book where it's it's more of a two dimensional where you're like, here's here's the book. This is what I've created for you. And now you're on the TV screens and you're seeing yourself in that way. Oh, a hundred. I still think it's weird when I see my book in a store. It still looks like something fake. Like my first job in Washington when I was, I guess, 19 years old, I was an intern for the Senate Judiciary Committee. And we used to take the, you know, the sender had those, they had the auto pens, the pen signing machines. Oh, and I used so to cool. take the, I used to take the judiciary committee stationery and I'd write to all my friends and use the pen signing machine and tell them they were being deported. Right. And um, so that's amazing, by the way, you could never do that now, but that's pretty amazing. Of course. Right. And I, I, I lived in Miami, so it worked, right? Like you write to <laughs> friends with like, it really worked here. But the best part of it was for me is when I see my, it, it, you know, that's obviously a joke I'm playing on my friends. That's how it feels when I see a book in the stores with my name on it. It feels like a joke that someone played on me and they put like a fake thing with my name on it. Still. The, the first time you saw it, did you, were you just staring at it for like 10 minutes? Like, oh my God, this is me. This is my name. This is my face out there. No, you know what? I actually, it, again, I didn't care because it didn't seem real. It seemed totally fake. But here's where it was real is I, um, in, in Washington, D.C., where we used to live, not far from DuPont Circle, there was a, a Walden Books on the corner of like K Street. Oh, and, God, Walden you know, Books. Which, remember that old Walden? There was an old Walden Books on the corner. And, and I used to go in there and shop. And the woman in there knew. I talked to her about it. We're going to have a book coming out. And she was just really sweet. And she, as a favor to me, um, put The 10th Justice, my first novel, in the window. Oh, my and it gosh. Wasn't, and, and she just was like, you know, it was never in a window. It was barely in the stores. And... That was the first time I remember we took pictures with it. We brought like a real camera down. Like it was a big deal. Like that was <laughs> a when I real felt like camera. when they, when they sent me the book, I was like, Oh, this just seems like a photocopy, you know, but to see it, like when someone put it in a store, that was it. It's a big deal. Like, and to feel it and to physically feel it, I think it's a big, it would have been a big like moment. I, 
how'd you go from book writing? Cause I know you have a, you know, obviously TV credits and Jack and Bobby, how did that come about? Um, it happened because I was at an agency, uh, that will not be named that the truth is, is they, <laughs> I said to them, I, I want to do TV. I wanted to do like, come up with some TV ideas. And they were like, you know, again, you have to remember this was almost 20 years ago when if you wrote thrillers, you were a thriller writer your whole life. Everyone was staying in your lane, right? If you're a, ro- yeah. a romance writer, you're, that's what you do. If you work as a Senate staffer, that's what you do. Like you didn't jump yes. around, you, you know, maybe you would go private sector to back to government, private sector, back to government, but you stayed in your specialty. And I said to them, I, I you know, I have a, I have a TV idea I want to do. And they just were like, they didn't care. And they, they put me in a meeting that I, I didn't realize until I went into the meeting that it was a totally fake bullcrap meeting. And it was, it wasn't even like with an agent. It was like with someone's assistant. They didn't even have an office. It was like oh. a desk in the middle of the room. Oh, and no. I think, I think it was like a tryout meeting. And I, and they said, Oh, so and the, and the, this kid who was like younger than me. And I was like, I was like 29. <laughs> like I couldn't, you know, I was 27. It was hard to be younger than me at that point. And <laughs> the kid says to me, uh, so what do you, you know, what do you, what kind of work have you done before? And not that anyone needs to know who I am. I was still like just starting out. And I said, but Oh, I wrote still. this book. That, I said, I wrote this book, the 10th justice. And the, and the kid looks at me and goes 10th justice, man. I love that book. And I realized in that moment, this whole meeting was bullshit. Like the whole meeting was bullcrap. I should say like it you was can say bullshit by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying, but, but I, I will just tell you, like, it was just fake. It was there to like, please me. And I, I left the agency. I was so pissed. And I, and I was just like, you don't care at all what I want to do. I clearly want to do, I have an idea for something. And I went to um, my friend, Eric Greenberg at this new agency then called Endeavor before it was WME. And, um, and within a month he had, he, he basically, we were pitching Jack and Bobby and it worked. And it was just because again, all, you know, so much of Hollywood is kind of like a heat seeking missile. It is. Um, but and same thing in, in DC, it's the same thing. DC is you know, a town it's of heat seeking missiles, same thing. And that's why the podcast title that you have is so good, right? Like it's the same thing. Thank you. And when we were out there, we used to say like, they're both company towns. LA and DC are company towns, right? Brad, That's I what you do. say that to everybody. Everyone's like, is it different moving from DC to LA? And I say, it's the exact same city. It's the exact same questions you get in DC. It's, you know, what do you do? What do you do? About. And exactly. in LA, it's, what do you do? Because their intent was like, what do you do? Who do you know? How can right, you help? Right. How can you help me? That's the question, right? It's, how can your crap you, help my crap? Exactly. I was like, it's the same thing. We just have much better weather and I never have to scrape my car. Yeah, that, that's all. And and that's why I live in Florida, because I was like, I don't want to scrape my car. Um, <laughs> and so that w- that's basically how it happened. The funny part was for Decoded, it was the exact opposite experience. Like I was chasing to get Jack and Bobby, chasing to try and get a show on the air. And we got lucky enough, um, you know, with my friend Steve Cohen and Greg Berlanti and all these people that made it work and you know, Vanessa Taylor made it happen. But when it came to Decoded, it was actually the exact opposite. And um what happened was, is I'd written a book, a thriller that was about the secret codes that the Freemasons used to use and a secret message that Thomas Jefferson used to use when he was in, uh, when he was president. And a, a head, one of the heads of the History Channel read the book and said, I want to do a show like this. And they That's came crazy. to me and said, it was, you know, it's the height of kind of Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code stuff. And he's like, we want to do a Freemason show. And I was like, that's not a show. That's just ripping off Dan Brown. And they said, well, what would you do? And I said, well, why don't, instead of just ripping them off in a way that's so blatant, I said, why don't we actually do this mystery instead? I said, you know, in 1792, the first piece of the White House is put down in a, in a, in a giant Freemason ceremony. 
They laid down the cornerstone of the White House. And within 24 hours, that first piece of the White House, that cornerstone, went missing. And then we can do a mystery on what happened to it. What Tell the story behind it. Why does no one know that story? And then you can do all the Freemason stuff because it was a Freemason ceremony and you have a better thing. And he's like, that's awesome. Can you do more of those? And he's like, give me five. He's like, give me four more. I need five of those. And so I went and found, you know, four more. And basically decoded happened because we weren't chasing it. It was the exact opposite. We were so, kind of like, no, nah, we don't want to do it. You know, you don't want to do that. And the more we said no, the more they were like, yeah, 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 let's do more. So it was just the exact opposite of everything. It was like, we called it the George Costanza. It really, it, I was about to say, you totally Costanza'd it. It's so funny. Yeah. I always tell people to judge in LA. I'm like, they're like, oh, I'm taking a meeting. I said, the only, the way to judge a meeting now is the type of water that you get, that you get. I'm like, I just take meetings now for water. I'm like, do you get bottled water? Is it warm? Is it fresh? Is it sparkling? What do you get? If you get in a glass, it's kind of bullshit. I'm like, no, I want it to go. I want a favor if you're going to go to the meetings. So next time you have a meeting, <laughs> I want you to judge it by the water. Oh, yeah. I judge it by my, my I once got the advice um, when I started my career. And it was always like, is the guy or woman who signs the check in the room? Ah, good, good advice. And I was always like, that's, that's a big meeting. And they're like, you got to get the person who signs the checks. And I was always like, not that I ever have been or will be, but I always thought that was like, you know, old mocker, like Hollywood talking. They also, this was also a person who told me and said, this, this is my favorite Hollywood advice ever, actually. They said, um, they said, if you want to work on a project, either you got to love the project, you love who you're working with, or they're paying you a crap load of money. And two of those three <laughs> things, two of those three things have to be true. And when I was younger, I was like, that is so, that's like sagacious advice. Thank you so much. It's so amazing. And I realized looking back, that's the most terrible advice ever because only the first two matter. Like yep. the third one should ne it will only lead to like crap. It will um, only lead to trouble. It will corrupt your soul. Yeah, for sure. But when I was younger, I was like, oh, thank you, wise person. I'm ready for LA. Well, and when you're, and it's funny because I feel like LA, like DC, it's kind of this crazy world. It's like sort of an alternate universe. Like every, everything just works differently. I'm from the Midwest originally. So it's, for me, it was even like a jolt. I'm like, okay, this is how the city works. Okay. I thought it was, it's very different in that sense. And it's, yeah. I would think like, you're like, oh, I'll take any advice you give. I'll, I'll, I'll embrace it. And you get excited about it. You're like, okay. And then you're like, oh, they don't know anything either. So that 27 year old who was meeting with you, you now know, did not sign a check. Yeah, no, no and I knew, well, the thing is, is you, you have to, you know, we, the thing about LA is, you know, it's not a meritocracy, right? No. It's not that like all the best people and the best writers always make it. it there's so no. much more at play and, and not in, not in that kind of like easy to reduce, oh, it's who you know, because it's not just about who you know, it's no. how you, it, it's how you work with people. Like there's just a different game that's involved. And depending on what show you're on or depending on if your pilot gets picked up or depending if this thing happens is so out of control for what merit is. Um, and, and I think that for me, the only way you can learn out there is you have to make all the mistakes and learn it the hard way. Cause you just won't believe that the world works like that. Otherwise you just, you have to experience it. And you have to be really tenacious. I was telling, I was having this debate with a friend. I said, Hollywood's different than any other place because your dream is hard to attain. And so everything has to line up. So you're always constantly scrapping to get your dream. Other jobs outside of the Hollywood world, like you want to be a CEO of a company that has a much more linear path to me than this, because it's out of your, it's like you said, it's out of your control. You're just like, okay, I'm going to keep, 
I'm going to keep chugging and I'm going to hope something sticks and I'm going to hope stars align and I get lucky and then I'm just going to keep at it. And so there's a little of that that's out of it. And it, it couldn't, you know, maybe it's not in it. A lot of the time it's not the nicest person or the best person, but you hope that it is. And sometimes that does kind of lead out. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, my my, I actually have a little my my experience, and maybe it's just. Or I'm jaded. This, no, no, no. I think it's actually right, but I'm going to add this on top. Like this is the thing that really upset me when I was in LA because we moved out to LA and we did Jack and Bob. We said we'll give you a month, we'll take one month, and I want. I never wanted to go out there and live permanently, but I was like, we have a TV show, we want to try. Like I want to experience Where'd you it. Guys- Where'd you live in LA? Um, we just lived in Studio City because we were filming okay. down at Warner Brothers. So, you know, obviously that's where the writer's right. room was. And so it was right there. But I said, I have one month where I'm going to live in LA. I know it's limited, but I just want to see what it's like that we have the show and it may never happen again. And and I think the thing that really, whenever I leave LA, I always feel bad about myself. I do. And it, <laughs> it took me a long time to figure out why. Is it I the realized- gluten? No, it's not. No, because you have the, no, it's not the gluten. Here's what, here's what it is to me. <laughs> I love you for that, by the way. You're um, welcome. I'm going to retire right now. And so it's this. It's that if, as a writer, okay, if you and I are both writers of thrillers and your thriller sells or hits the bestseller list or does whatever it's supposed to do, it really, there are a thousand million books that are going to be published this year. It doesn't affect my book in any way, shape, or form, right? If anything, the more books that sell, like Michelle Obama's book is number one on the bestseller list right now. It is bringing in people to bookstores in the best way everybody benefits when there's a big book because people go to stores and they want that big book. Like when and they'll buy other things and they'll, right, they'll buy other things because they're in the bookstore in LA. If my <laughs> pilot gets picked up or your pilot gets picked up and mine doesn't like oh. the odds of once yours gets picked up, the odds of mine not being picked up actually are, are they get worse for me. Worse. Yep. There's only excellent, even with Netflix and even everything now that's out there and all the different places you can go there's still only a limited amount of spots. And I remember being out to dinner with a group of friends and I remember telling everyone, Hey, this thing, Jack and Bobby, it's going to go. And I, and I just got that feeling, um, that I was worried that some of the people at the table were like, like not so happy for me. And and in a situation where I never want to be in a situation where I'm worried that my friends aren't happy for me, that just, that messes with my head. That totally screws me up. And that's why I'm, I, it's the one thing for LA that I think, yes, you don't have this clear path, but the path you're on is also like littered with like potentially your friend's failures. And I, and I never want that ever to be the case. That That's heartbreaking to me. It's hard. LA is hard. I always tell people that too. Like, it's funny looking at my friends and my circle and my family circle, none of them are actually from LA and only a few of them are actually in the business. And it's, I don't know if it's a little bit telling in that way too, because it is true. There's everything has like a pretty sheen here and everything is just a little bit false. And you, when, when you always see people going, Oh, that's so great for you. And you know that they're saying, Oh, it's so shitty for me. Yeah. I mean, that's what I felt like. I mean, that's the thing is whether you feel it or not, not, whether it's true or not, true or not, that's how you feel it. And, and then therefore it's true. And so that to me is the one thing. And, and, and I remember when, when we came, my first LA experience, we went to see, this is out of college. My wife and I drove cross country because we just wanted to see the country. We had just graduated college. I had no money. Her That's parents so gave her, sweet. her parents gave her a cross country trip and said, take, take the boyfriend. And I was the boyfriend at the time. And so I got to go because I couldn't afford it. And we, and we, and we hit LA just as the sequel to Batman, Batman two, Batman returns was coming out. And, 
you know, we went to see them, you know, Man's Chinese Theater was hosting, uh, you know, on opening day, whatever, it was Man's Chinese Theater, they were showing it, it was like the big first weekend, maybe, the, I forget if it was the first night of first weekend, and we were so excited, we got in there, and of course, it's filled with LA types, because it's in LA, and the person we sit next to is this guy that's got about 10 years on us, so he's in like his mid-30s, late 30s, um, and we sit down and wind up talking to him, and he starts like talking to my wife, my, my girlfriend at the time, my now wife. And we're like, what do you do? And he's like, well, I basically, there's, there's, I think they were launching like <laughs> to tell the truth at the time. It was like a game show. And, yeah. and, and so they were relaunching it. And he was the guy who like picked people out of the audience and then put them on the show. He was like the, the guy who, you know, plucked you out and said, you're on. And, and so we're just making shit chat. And I, he said, well, what are you guys doing? I said, well, a lot of my friends are coming out here to write. And he literally said to me, Oh man, I remember that dream. And then he <gasps> said, and then he said this, he said, my best friend when I was in, I forget it was high school or college, he says was Gina Davis. Wow. And, and it was at the time, this is again, is in, you know, the late eighties, uh, the early nineties. He's like, Gina Davis was like the height of all women. Yeah. All of it. And, and you could tell he was like, man, that could have been me. And oh. I just remember looking at him and feeling, I'm like, am I looking at a future version of myself? And the idea that you could go out there and have your dreams so clearly crushed and, and be like, I, I, it was so heartbreaking to me. I was like, this place scares the crap out of me. I was like, I'm going to go write a novel instead. I'm done. My favorite LA experience when I first came, because I was sort of enamored by it because it's so like, it, it's so shiny and beautiful and glitzy. We got invited to a couple just in my husband's work, like movie premieres. And I was so convinced, Brad, I said, honey, I'm going to wear sunglasses and I'm going to walk down the red carpet and everyone's going to think I'm famous and it's going to be amazing. He's like, yeah, don't do that. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. Just, I'm, it's going to happen for me. So I put on like giant sunglasses. I start walking down the red carpet because anyone can walk down it. And literally the paparazzi, I hear someone yell, she's nobody. And I looked around. <laughs> Another paparazzi goes, I'm sorry, what? She's nobody. She's nobody. So I literally like hustle off. I see my husband on the other side. He's like, how'd they work out for you? I'm like, it went really well. It went Oh boy, really that's well. rough. There is no metaphor hidden there. No, she's literally nobody. And I thought, <laughs> this is um, welcome to LA. Um, this yeah. is amazing. So yeah, it's good stuff. Have you, it's interesting because I, do, by the way, speaking of LA, that's how I kind of discovered you. Was you're on Kevin and Bean all the time? I love Kevin and Bean; they're my favorite. Me too. Me too. I was. I love them. They're an institution in Los Angeles, and I I did their show a couple times, and I listened to them all the time. But I was going to tell you that's how we discovered you. Oh, that's good. I love them. They're the sweetest guy. You know, there are a couple um, radio shows that have come from like being, okay, that's a thing you go on to like, this is my family. And that's a, that there are like half a dozen shows around the country that I feel like I've been on, you know, early in my career, started out with them and they've just been there for me forever. I love those people. They're, they're all fantastic. I love Ali. I love the whole crew. They're, they're so kind. It was such a dream to meet them. Cause I was like, oh, they've been such a part of my LA life. It's, sure. It's, well, yeah, exactly. it's a driving town, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, and they're so kind to me because they, you know, they believe in our kids' books. They believe in, you know, I was just on there to do the first conspiracy with them, and yeah. they just, um, they're just super supportive, and and they're good readers. They really read, which is amazing. I love that. It's uh, speaking of your children's books, they are our go-to baby shower gifts. Anytime we have a kids' 
party or a baby shower, I always give them the I am books and it's usually the Jim Henson and the Lucille Ball book. Oh, perfect. Uh, Those are great. Um, can I ask for some more like comedians? Um, can I make you, a request? Yeah, trust me. Yeah, please. Who do you, who do you want? I mean, I would love like, do they have to, they have to been passed away, correct? No, because no, you no, did Billie Jean. Jean at all. Right. We, we and did, you did Billie, Billie Jean, Jean King. King. Billie Jean King comes out King. next week. Yeah. Um, okay. Then I, cause I was limiting myself. Like I would love like an, I am Gilda Radner book. Oh, I would kill Gilda Radner. I'd love Gilda Radner. That would be amazing to do. The hard, the hard part is great. Who else? I want to know who else is on your list. Um, I would love Gilda Radner. I would love Ruth Buzzy. Yeah, um, that's but, fun. Well, Ruth Buzzy was when I worked at the CIA and I was in the disguise department, I would disguise myself all the time because I was an old theater, you know, nerd. And I used to disguise myself as Ruth Buzzy. And everyone's like, who is that? I'm like, you don't know who Ruth Buzzy is? And I grew up on her. And so that would be. So, wait, so is that what, so is that what I remember on Twitter? Is that how you knew Tony Mendez? I was going to ask you, I never met Tony. Tony was, I would say B.E. before Emily. How do right. you, um, I'm like, that's how we tell, tell time B.E. Um, I never met him, but everybody spoke about him because he was a little bit before and his wife as well. How did you, because I saw that you also tweeted about him. You met yeah, him. Yeah, I knew him. I, yeah, he basically, you with him? I knew him. The funny part was, I think I even met him long before, must have been before the Argo movie came out. I'm, my time will be a little off because I just don't remember, but I met him because I saw a story on, you know, CIA Master of Disguise. And yes. I was like, CIA Master of Disguise. I got to meet that guy. And I wrote him, and I wrote him. I must have been an email at some point, or some maybe I had a friend in common. And I reached out to him, and he said, "You know what? Come meet me and Joanna. Like, and we'll we'll have like a I don't forget if it was like a meal or a coffee or whatever it was." And I just remember sitting with him for like an hour, and him just telling me the secrets of how he did all the stuff before it was Amazing. known to the public. And the truth is, is and. They're all of the time, any time a character disguises themselves to this day in any of the books, it's based on stuff Tony gave me because he was so frigging good at it. He was so, so good at it. And he was so kind with his time. And anytime I had a question, I'd call him up and say, how do I do this? How do I do that? And he would always answer. And obviously, you know, to lose him was, yeah. you know, you're just so sad because the guy seemed like he was you know, still in his prime. He was such an artist, and I think that's what I've always appreciated about him is that when people talk about him, they talk about not only, you know, his genius, but really his artistry and what he did and how he combined both the worlds. Because you see movies and everyone asks me, you know, like, oh, you did disguise. Did you know, did you rip your face off like in the Tom Cruise movie? And I'm always like, go, go read Tony's book. Go, right. go do that. That's the book. Because he, I mean, his, I think he. How long, I mean, wait, how long did you work there for? Um, a little over six years. But wow. I, I started in disguise and then I was, to be it, very honest, yeah, not great to. at it. I was not great at disguise. And I, probably because I dressed myself up as Ruth Buzzy a lot. No, I was going to say Ruth Buzzy uh, is not the, uh, the flower pot on the head will always be the giveaway. Yeah, that or is clutching my purse and pretending to sit on the couch. She was always on a park bench. And she yeah, always she was. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're too young to know who Ruth Buzzy is, by the way. No, Matt. Carol Burnett. That's how you I, know. I know, but like, even that seems like I used to watch it with like my parents and my grandparents. Yeah, no, but that's it. But I actually, I don't mind that. I don't feel like, like, I feel like that's a fine, that's the division okay. between like millennials and the and, Gen X after it, okay. right? Is like, is, is knowing who Ruth Buzzy is. Like I couldn't name, I'm, I'm sure she was on Hee Haw as well, but I just, you know, laughing. Was, oh, laughing. Sorry. That's what I meant. Laughing. Right. Did um, you just I, call her Hee Haw? And the, he, I, I know which one in my head. I saw the picture cause I saw it on. 
Um, so I had it in my head, but it was a wrong show. But the thing that I, I to me, is I associated with Carol Burnett. Uh, I don't know if that's right or not. But I feel like she was like a guest on there. I was like I a think fun. She had to have been. She's fun on Twitter. At least I used to follow her a little bit. And I was like, oh, I should follow her because I used to dress up as you her. You used to dress up as her. You got to tell her that. You got it. You have to today say, dear Ruth Buzzy, Brad Meltzer told me I have to tell you. I used to, I was CIA and the CIA used to dress up as you. If that doesn't get a response, like, I'm, come on. And literally, once I dressed up as her, because I was like, I would always try like, Disguise myself as, you know, random people. Oh, by the way, Mel Brooks is who else I'd like to do. And I am. Oh, Brooks. I would love to do Mel, Mel Brooks. I would love he, to do Mel Brooks. One of my, part, like, the hard part of when you pick the I am, like, so the new, the newest I am book is, is Billie Jean King. And my one rule okay. is, if you notice there's one thing in common with the people who are still alive. Um, and, and this is just, I don't know if it's on purpose or like it's become the purpose, but they're all men. They're all not men. They're all women. All yeah. the ones we've done who are alive are women. And you know why? Cause I don't trust men. I don't trust that the men to not you. screw something up. Like, and it's because the last, one of the last books I did, um, I did a book called Heroes for My Son. It had like 50 heroes to give my son when he was born. And it was the first time I ever did a children's book, really sweet book that I love doing. And in the, um, in the very last draft of it, there was one person who was in the book, who was a big hero at the time. And then basically right before it went to press, was still alive, doing great work. But right before I went to press, I was like, you know what? Just take that person out. I just got a bad feeling. I don't even know why. I just said, just Ooh, take them out because it's live. I'll tell you after. I can't say what on the air, but I'll, you'll okay. guess pretty easily. You'll guess pretty easily. But um, Donald Rumsfeld, Dick no, Cheney. No, no, no. And so I, and I basically was like, and then they got busted on like this <gasps> drug thing. And I was like, damn it. Why do you got to do that? What? Like you just ruined the whole thing. And so my one rule, like when we picked Billie Jean King, we did oh. I Am Jane Goodall. Um, you know, I, I trust these women not to go and, and, and do something stupid. Whereas I don't trust a man. Like, I feel like, like man's gonna, yeah, like Sonia Sonia Sotomayor, Sotomayor, I trust her, right. She's not going to screw it up. Like she's not she going will. out for a wild night on the town. Yeah. Like, she's not going to be dancing on a bar. Right. But I feel like you, like, I don't put anything past even a 70 year old man. Like they will just do something stupid at any moment in time. They so, will screw it up. They will yes. literally, they will <laughs> screw it so up. That, that's my bias. Oh, but you know, I trust Jane Goodall. Like I trust her. Billie Jean King. Trust. trust like absolutely and i and the thing is but you have to be careful when you pick a live person because if i you know when i do the first conspiracy right i'm doing the secret plot to kill george washington if i mess up george washington and when i do the i am books what's he gonna do right is it, i mean yeah literally he's not gonna sue you right if i miss a billie jean king she's coming to my house with a tennis racket right and right? she's gonna beat the crap out of you and she's gonna and beat so your she car. was like so we sent her the book and she was so nice about it she spent yeah. like two she spent like crazy amount of time on the phone with me, going through every page, making sure every de- loved her. She was so amazing and generous, and you know you can't ask for more than that. So that that's why you got to be careful when you pick a live person. Speaking of, and you gave me a lovely segue to first conspiracy. This is your first like nonfiction book, Kurt. I mean, yep. novel yep. other than. Was it when you went there? First of all, like I want to talk about because it's it has all the counterintelligence stuff in it, which I find really meaty and lovely. What made you say this is what I want to do? Was it because of the political climate we have, or I'm assuming you started this way before, or the genesis of the idea happened way before all this craziness? And also, like I'm thinking, like now I want I want to see this as like a Hamilton musical. Yeah, is and that you know, okay? Listen, uh, you can please. We all can have the same dreams. Um, 
my, my the truth though is I wish I was smart enough to know where we would be politically today. I started I found this, the idea for this story nearly a decade ago, and I found it in a footnote of all places um, where all the great secrets hide. And I saw the what you know it was something like a, a, a secret plot to kill George Washington, and I was like, is that real? Mm-hmm. Is that fake? Is that internet nonsense? Like, right? What is that? Because they um, only tell the truth on the internet, Brad. Uh, right. Oh, that's how I know. If it's on the internet, I know it's true. It's totally true. And, and, but I was like, I thought this has to be fake, but it was true. And in 1776, there was a secret plot to kill George Washington. And when George Washington found out about it, he gathered those responsible, built a gallows, took one of the May co-conspirators and hanged them in front of 20,000 people. Emily was the largest public execution at that point in North American history, brought the hammer down, was like, don't mess with me. I'm George Washington. I'm going to be on the money one day, right? You can tell him from LA. I'm going, he got a great crowd. Yeah, no, no, he totally got a great crowd, right? He got a great crowd. I wonder who opened for him. Like, did he do something before? Amazing. Perfect LA response. I love that. And so, but the, the crazy part is, is, you know, I can't possibly anticipate where this is going to be seven years later. Um, but it just so happens that as we just got lucky on the timing that, you know, because I, I, I think it's no coincidence when these books are written. No. And, I, and I love when we wrote this book. You know, I did it with my friend Josh Mensch, who worked on one of the TV shows with me on Lost History. And he and I helped find the 9-11 flag that the firefighters raised to ground zero. Um, and we went you know, with our show. We went looking for the flag and the flag came back. And I got all this credit because my name was on uh, above the show title, but only a fool thinks it's a one person show. And and Josh was our executive producer and he was an award winning uh, documentarian. And and I was like, you want to come down the rabbit hole because trying to research this thing is going to be a bear. And and what happened was I went to um, Pulitzer Prize winning author Joseph Ellis and I said to him, do you know this story about this plot to kill Washington? And he was like, I know the story. And he said, it's a he says it's a story about George Washington's spies. And he said to me, you know, you can find out the exact number of slaves that George Washington owned, but you'll never find all of his spies. He said, by its nature, what you're searching for is going to forever be elusive, but you got to try. He's like, if you try, you get a book out of it, if it works. And if it doesn't, you have an adventure. And man, I love to have an adventure. I was going to say, you seem, we seem very similar. It sounds like you like a good, like mystery and a good ruse and like a good plot twist. Like I love a good, like a good secret. Um, I do. And, and I think for me, the moment find you say it. you can't find it, uh, that's all I want, right? Like, yeah, that's of all course. I want, right? You got to. And then, but I think the other thing is, is just that as we went down the rabbit hole, it was the details that we were finding. They were just like, they just got cooler on, you know, because George Washington is arguably the most famous American who's ever lived. But just as oddly, we know the least about him as a person, well, you know, it, it's, and that's what's so crazy. And so George Washington had his own um, private bodyguards, which I the never knew about the lifeguards. Right. I mean, and he asked his top military people, he said, give me your four best men. He narrowed down those four best. He narrowed it down to about 50 people. And they became, as you said, the lifeguards, because one of their jobs was to guard George Washington's life. I wouldn't I be like, like, George, it's a little on the nose. It's a little on the, well, they, they, you know, the thing that's great about him is those are the people who turned on him. Those are the ones involved with the plot it's to kill crazy. Washington. And you're like, I don't care how strong you are. I don't care what kind of great general you are. You become the first president. That's a moment that's devastating to George mm-hmm. Washington. And suddenly he's so much more human than the kind of granite figure who we see on the dollar bill every day. Because he was so, that's what surprised me is like, how can this man who we've, 
who is this idolized, I mean, it's George Washington, have that moment of just being naive. And it, to me, that was so human. And so like, it's, it's like any of us, like you find your friend, like stabbed you. You're like, Oh God. And like that, but then that sort of turned and that's how it was all sort of the precursor to the CIA. And that's yeah, no, that- right. George Washington, right. When he finds out about what's going on, you know, he, he basically builds a secret committee. He's like, I got to find out what's going right. on. And he puts John Jay in charge of it. Um, uh, and if and you know, if you're going to have a, yeah. you know, if you're going to have a good secret committee, you got to have a good name. So they give it the title, the committee on conspiracies. It's a and great John, title. Great title. Right. And then, and then John Jay, of course, becomes eventually the first Supreme court justice. But right now in 1776, he's starting out and, you know, everyone thinks that the precursor to the CIA is the OSS, OSS. but not to me, to me, it's right here in this moment. And in fact, you know, this in CIA headquarters in Langley right now, there's a room dedicated to John Jay, John Jay. who they call the founding father of counterintelligence. And I love that it all traces back to this moment, right around this plot to go after George Washington himself. And so I love that you can see in the book the plot to get him, but what I, I like just as much, if you see the whole birth of our counterintelligence movement and you see that, you know what, we weren't very good at it. The no. British were great at it. The British were raiding our mail and going through our stuff. They had entire amazing campaigns to read every letter that came into the colonies. They were amazing spies. We were crappy, but we got good fast. We got very good fast. It's. Yeah. It's a, and now they call it, they say it's the second, we always said it's the second oldest profession is espionage. It is absolutely a hundred percent. Cause the one thing that we found was the prostitution rates in 1776 and they were high for the military because that, Ah. you know, that's what we do. What we do when you, you'll see when you read the first conspiracy, like what we do with our history is, you know, we're so um, precious about it. You know, we, we take our heroes, we dip them in granite and we build these statues to them. And we do them a huge disservice because they're not, they're not human beings anymore. They just become these, these icons. And anyone you look up to, whether it's George Washington, whether it's Rosa Parks, Dr. King, pick anyone, a mentor, they had moments where they were scared and they were terrified. They had moments where they thought they couldn't go on, but they kept going. And, and when you read the book, you'll see it's the same with George Washington. In the Battle of Brooklyn in 1776, we get our butts kicked. We don't win and you know love democracy and live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. We get slaughtered, and George Washington gets outgeneraled. He doesn't have the experience of the British generals. Uh-huh. And one of the things that happens is he gets pinned down by the British. He's got the British in front of him. He's got the East River behind him. And basically, at that moment in time, he should be dead. This should be the death of George Washington. <laughs> and instead, what he does is the best thing he always does is he adapts. And he makes a daring escape in the middle of the night. The fog rolls in. They commandeer every boat along the East River. And then slowly, one by one, he starts putting his men aboard these boats and sailing them off to make sure they're safe. But here's the key moment, is George Washington won't get on any of the boats until he sees that his men are away first, even the lowest people. And they see him risking his life for them. And and not that that's the magic moment that created no, America, but it's, right? But it's but, that loyalty. It's that it's that you you believe in this man now. Right. And, it, and it's, it's that proof that leadership is not about being right. in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. And that is, God, it's, do we need that today? I was just about to say, as you're saying that, I'm going, God, that's so relevant right now. Could you, could you have ever written something, what, like, what's going on with Mueller and the Russia investigation? Is all of that, to, like, could you have even dreamed to write that? Or does that even seem far-fetched for, like, I think, like, people in Hollywood are probably like, going crazy 
thinking yeah, that if I they mean, wrote that, it would get thrown, you know, against a wall and somebody like that can never happen. You know, that's, you know, and that's what, you know, they, people, you know, I do these interviews where people ask thriller writers, you know, what would they do if they could write, you know, Donald Trump's administration and what's happening yeah. right now. And I, and I say, exactly. If I wrote this, my editor would say, Brad, no one will ever believe it. Forget it. Send me <laughs> back. And, and my one rule for thriller writing is don't compete with reality. Reality will always win. Right. Really? I mean, it, it, between my makeup fake version of a reality show president, you know, who takes over the White House and the real one, yeah. the real one's going to be the better story every time. It's just every. going to be. And and to me, you can't compete with reality. You've got to be like 10 steps ahead of it <gasps> and figure it out. What kind of dog do you have? Uh, I have a little Havanese. Ah. Uh. You said, do you ever post pictures of it? Just because I'm, I like dogs. I, was just I do, I do. His name is okay. Teddy. Okay, I just, I'm, I'm following you on Instagram now too, so I'll look through because I was like, oh, you were in St. Louis, my hometown. I was very excited to see that. Uh, I was. St. Louis was one. Of, St. Louis is one of the best stops for us. We love St. Louis. Oh, it's the greatest. I get a little nostalgic. I haven't been back in a while, but it's, it's a great city. I look back and think, you know what? Growing up in the Midwest, growing up there was. It was really good. It's it's good foundation for me and for it's just it's a great city. Um, I was just gonna ask you, how would you end the if you were writing the Mueller Russia Trump? How would it end? And would it end with Don Jr. and Jared in prison, um, adjoining <laughs> cells? Um, would Ivanka be and like who's imprisoned? See, what you're oh. asking for is you're asking for the fan fiction, right? Like, that's yeah. what you want. Uh -huh. You want the fan fiction of, like, tell me who's going down. Tell me yeah. what's going to happen. Tell me the bad part. Tell me the good guys. Tell me the – the truth is, is I don't spend one second even thinking of it because, to me, like, the, all the best stories, you can't see what the ending is coming. You, you can't. Like, so, to me, trying to guess the ending of, like, you know, one of the craziest stories in, in modern history, good luck. My God, that's all I think about. I literally daydream. I like. I had a birthday recently. It was like my birthday candle wish. I was like, "Come on, <laughs> come on, come on, Mueller." Come it's on. just a crazy story. I mean, you know, one of my. I'll leave. This is to me like the, the best way to say it is, when I was doing this book, again, just because we're talking about U.S. presidents. One of the things I got to do is I got. Um, I was in Kennebunkport, Maine, and um, I had done a lot of work with Barbara Bush's uh, Literacy Foundation because yeah. Barbara Bush. President Bush and Mrs. Bush years ago wrote to me. Um, they like my novels. They read the thrillers. And I've gotten letters from Clinton. And, you know, very, very nice. You can't ever, again, you think they're fake that, when you get them. I was going to say, that would blow my mind. Yeah, no, I, I totally thought they were fake. And Barbara Bush, <laughs> what I loved about her is she just believed you got to teach everyone to read. And it wasn't just kids, but it was adults. It was, you know, people who were immigrants, people who didn't speak English. She just believed that's the American dream. Teach everyone to read. And I loved her for it. Beautiful. And we we did these amazing, you know, they were nonpartisan, like completely amazing literacy events to raise money for teaching and giving people the opportunity to read. And when I was in Maine to honor her after she died, it was a couple months ago, a few months ago, I should say, um, she, we knew what was happening with President Bush. Like yeah. we knew he was, he was sick and we knew it was coming. And I found out that President Bush's, uh, some of his favorite authors, they were being asked to come in and read to him. And, and uh, I got the call and they said, we'd like you to read, you know, you want to read to President Bush. And I said, I'd be, I'd be honored, of course. Amazing. Right. And they, they were in Kennebunkport and they say to me, listen, it, you're only going to be in there for like 10 minutes because he just, he sleeps very quickly. And my wife, of course, joked and said, don't worry, Brad's used to his books, putting people to sleep. And, <laughs> you know, your wife's a good woman. I like her. She is, of course. And so we go in the room 
and it's, you know, it's my wife and I, it's President Bush and his yeah. service dog, Sully. And this is the end. We know this is the end, right? We know this is, yeah. this is the, and I start reading to him and I can see on his desk when I get there, he has about five or six books that are stacked up and they're like, one of them is the first conspiracy and it's ah. like dog ear. Like he gave us a blurb on the book because I sent it to him almost a year ago, but it's like, he read it. Like, I can't say how many times it's like got a post-it in it. So like the pages oh. are all whatever. And I say, sir, you want to read this one? I brought my own copy. And he's like, mm-hmm, because he can't really speak at this point. He nods and goes, mm-hmm. And so I start reading, and I read one of my favorite scenes to him in the book. It's where George Washington, for the very first time, has the Declaration of Independence presented to the troops. And yeah. he's fallen asleep at this point. There are a couple minutes, and I'm like, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. But then I get to those words, those words that we all know. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and his eyes pop open and it's like, he's locked on me, right? He's just like a laser. And my wife and I are looking at each other and I get to the end of the chapter and, and he's still locked on me full clarity. Like as if the declaration of independence is like his very lifeblood. And I say, sir, do you want to read another chapter? And he goes, uh-huh. And so we read another one. I go, you want to read another? Mm-hmm. And another, mm-hmm. And instead of being there 10 minutes, I'm there for a full hour. He's That's wide amazing. awake, just locked on. And I eventually, of course, you know, say my goodbyes. I know I'm never going to see him again. And I get to thank him. And to me, to be able to read about our first president to, at that point, our oldest is our oldest living president, president, right? It's so humbling. And when he died, the thing that was in all the tributes, and just to kind of show you from where we are today, this will all make sense, like the tributes that you saw all have one word that kept jumping out to me, which was decency, uh, decency, it, right? And, and all and, of them. And it's not, and yes, I know it's because he was a decent guy, which he was, but I also believe at my core that it's because that today, again, what, no politics about it, Republican, Democrat, whatever you are in between, um, we're, we're a country starving for decency. We, we, the way we talk to each other is so disgusting. The way we yeah. hate is so disgusting. And what we need is far more decency, far more tolerance than yelling at each other. And so to me, spending time trying to think of like the most horrible, vicious ending for, you know, whatever is, you know, I feel like okay. I'd much rather spend my time with a, a President Bush, okay, with a George well, Washington, you know, like. Well, it's I felt just a, horrible. No, he's not. He feel, it Thanks, a, Brad. Now I'm joking. It wasn't the ultimate guilt trip. It was just like, my thing is, is that like I don't my think mother. it's. Uh, yeah, exactly. Call me. Um, but I, I think the, I think that the, what it really, when you look at where we are as a culture, if you look at the two big biographies that came out this last year, they were Neil Armstrong and they were Mr. Rogers. They were people who were humble Very and they were modest, right? They were the quiet ones. Like right now in social media, we favor those in the culture who are good at calling attention to themselves, who write in all caps and triple exclamation points that's, and say, me, 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 look at me. It's so funny. I pulled that tweet from you because I that was the tweet I, I on my notes. I said today, you're, I thought it was a beautiful tweet. You're like, today on social media, we favor those who are good at calling attention to themselves, those who write everything in all caps with triple exclamation points saying, I'm the best, I have all the answers. And it was, to me, what I've always appreciated is I think you in social media and I, I know where you, I can sense where you stand on sort of the important things and I think you lead with empathy and compassion and humility. And I think we had talked a little bit before the show started about addressing that in, in our rhetoric every day about using that as opposed to, you know, as sometimes I like to do, like, 
clapping back and always leading with that. And I always, right. I, and listen, I, really I, 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 you know, you, you need everything, right. You can't, it's like, you can't have, my way is not the only way, right. It's the way that yeah. it's the way that works for me. There are, God bless the people who go out there and can bring their guns blazing to whatever their other side is. You know, I think that there's a place and time for that. It's just not my way. Like, and for me, when I look at history, I just know that that's who I, that's who I admire. And I admire those who can like, God, I look at Dr. King at a time where all you want to bring is anger. All you yeah. want to bring is venom. All you want to bring is like punch someone in the face because this is so, you know, unjust. And, and God, the man just brought peace and love. And so the answer is love your enemy. Like his mother taught him when he was a little kid, like, don't hate your enemy, love your enemy. And, you know, I know there are plenty of people right now who are like, well, we need Malcolm X too. And like, God bless you do. But, but for me, that message of like, love, love who you hate too is far more powerful. And it's, it's far more challenging. Oh, hundred percent. It is so easy to be angry today. Cause again, it's, that's what we do. You know, I, I went from, when I did this tour is I went from CNN, CBS to Fox to, uh, NPR to Glenn Beck friends at all of these places. I have dear friends for decades now. And the only uh, thing they all had in common was this uh, one thing. They, all of them were tired of the way we talk to each other as a culture. It's awful. all of them. And, and, you know, and there are, believe it or not, there are things we all agree on, right? We do agree that the way we're talking to each other is wrong and it's a mess. And the hardest part is trying to figure out how do we get out of that? Because if you're watching well, MSNBC and someone else is watching Fox news, you are experiencing oh. the world in two entirely different ways. And your, your universes are not the same. So how do also, you possibly come together? Oh, and also with social media, I mean, obviously that's like the accelerant on the fire. Like you, it, it it's made conversation. It, it's a totally different beast. And I think it makes it, we've, it allows it to happen. It, it gives you the courage to say things you would never normally say. So people are just spilling their most ugly into the world. And it's, you know, look, I have family who have not blood related. Oh, no, I do have blood related. I was going to say who defriended me on Facebook because of it. And I was like, really? That's where we are? And it's just, it's fast. It's, I shouldn't say fascinating. It, it's so saddening and horrifying. And it's funny, like you were, we were talking about, I got this email that was horrible, Brad, like horrible, saying horrible things about me using like profanity that I didn't know. I was like, I need to look this word up. And my husband said, Cause I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take him down. He's like, lead with kindness. You've always said that. I was like, you know, you're right. So I wrote back to him. I never heard back. I was a little pissed. I was like, oh my God, my troll ghosted me. But in that moment it was like, okay, I'm going to lead with kindness and maybe, maybe he won't spread that into the world, but I don't know how we change it, Brad. I think books like yours, where you talk about leaders to children, your I am books. That's one of the reasons we give it to our friends. Because Listen, that's why we, that, that's our way of fighting back. Like those yeah. books are literally, everyone thinks that they're history books. They're not, they're value books. On the back of I Am Amelia Earhart, it says, I know no bounds. On the back of I Am Abraham Lincoln, it says, I will speak my mind and speak for others. And the amazing thing, this I'll, I'll leave you with this because it's a perfect ending. Oh, is, okay. Is, no pressure. Was some, yeah, no, I, now, now I've overhyped it. But uh, mm -hmm. something amazing happened two years ago uh, in November when Donald Trump and Hillary were battling for the presidency. This amazing thing happened with our I Am kids books. And it was that two books started selling more than any others. And they were, I am Martin Luther King Jr. And I am uh, George Washington. And it wasn't uh, a Democrat or Republican thing. It was that, you know, people on both sides, parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, 
were tired of turning on the TV, watching Hillary yeah. and Donald Trump bash each other's heads open. They were tired of turning on that TV every night and seeing politicians when what they wanted to show their kids were leaders. And we all know there's a huge difference between a politician and a leader. It's and a I love that people have used our books for the past two years to fight back. And, and that's our goal is that we're going to build an army of kids who are learning lessons of kindness and generosity. Um, and, and to me, that is, I love that when you see, wait till you see I Am Billie Jean King. If you're not charged up by the time you get to the end of it and feel like you're ready for oh. whatever the, the next battle brings, um, you know, that's, I love that that becomes part of like what I'm working on, on a daily basis. It's, I, you, it has to start young and it's, to me, it's my nieces and nephews and I, my husband's like, you need to like take it down a notch. Cause I was like ending every like email, like, and make a run for the white house. You can do this. You can <laughs> right, do whatever you want. Right. He's like, not every email. I'm like, no, no, I want them. They can be leaders. He's like, you need to take it down. But I agree. It's, it's, I think it'll change. I do. I know I'm probably incredibly naive, but I think the pendulum has to swing the other way. I think we're as a society going to get so tired and exhausted and broken that it'll have to happen. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, that's what always happens in American history. We hit a point where we've had enough and then people rise up and a new one takes its place. And we've had these problems since 1776 and we got them now and we'll be there again, you know, after that. So I, I have to have that faith. If not, then we're really in the crapper. Well, Brad, I have to tell you, I had so many more things I want to talk to you about. I wanted to talk to you about your work with the Red Cell and the CIA and oh, everything that was you did fun. there. And like personally, like I need to talk about that. So I, I will probably hit you up and ask you to come back. But I wanted just to have every everybody know that when does Billy, when does your I Am Billy Jean King come out? I Am Billy Jean King comes out uh, February 5th. February. Oh, so, like, yeah, like, in in like a week, a week and a week yeah, it comes out. So week. it's a great Valentine's day gift for your kids. And the first conspiracy is out. And do you have anything else exciting coming up that I can um, No, we got the, and the escape artist just came out in paperback. So if you read, very if you're looking for fiction, which is fun, but yeah, I love that, you know, and, and especially to the spy community out there, I see you. Um, they've helped me for so many books now. Um, and their names don't appear in the acknowledgements because they never want to be in the acknowledgements. But for years, I appreciate what you do. I, I met people who have lost loved ones at Dover Air Force Base whose names they can never say really went through there. Um, and I appreciate what all of you do. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's uh, I always tell everybody the most humbling experience of my, my career there was standing in front of the memorial wall and you can't help but feel the weight of, of patriotic Americans and what they do when you're standing there. And, uh, it's amazing. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate that for, for everybody else in the Intel community as well. Cause I know I said, you never hear about their successes. You sometimes hear about their failures and you just, it's a success when you don't hear about them. So amen. Amen. Well, thanks and for doing this. I'm happy you. to come back. Oh, perfect. Let me, I'm going to just let everybody know that you can visit Deep State Radio Network and support all of our work by becoming a member. Members receive early access to all the podcasts, one-on-one newsmaker interviews, discounts on Deep State swag. Um, it's great for Valentine's Day. You can give your sweetheart the gift of the Deep State. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. And you can follow Brad on Twitter and on Instagram as well. And you can follow me. I'm at CIA Spy Girl. And Brad, thank you so, so much. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, we've been such a fan of yours. And so it's so exciting to get to talk to you. So thank you. True pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks again. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. 
Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.